Today is the day you need to have uh, some of your translations downloaded to your Bible app. <laughs> if you can see your Bibles, if you have them with you, take them out to chapter uh, 16 of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles, Old Testament. You get to Psalms, you're not there yet. Keep turning. You get to Genesis, you've gone too far. Back up a little bit. I want to talk today, I told you last week, I want to start talking about uh, this concept, this idea of Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm going to lead us into this season of the year as we celebrate Thanksgiving to, to kind of shift our focus and change our perspectives a little bit because I know this has been a, a rough year. I know this has uh, been a year full of loss, a year full of challenges and, and just different. Uh, it's just a different year. But as we move on these final weeks, I want us to remember, uh, or maybe this is a year to forget, so we need something else to remember, that we're supposed to be people of thanksgiving. We're supposed to be people that are thankful in our lives. So I'm not talking about the holiday, I'm talking about a state of mind. In a nation as blessed as we are, with as much freedom and prosperity as we've been blessed with, it's easy to fall into a sense of entitlement and lose a sense of thanksgiving. Also, as we approach one of the most critical elections in our history, it's easy to allow our attitude to hinge on the results of the election on Tuesday. Whether you're representative or senator or president uh, or board member or whatever we're voting on, if, if that doesn't work out in the way you want it to, it's really easy to shift your entire life into depression or anger or frustration and lose a sense of thank thankfulness. In the South, it's also easy to lose or to allow our attitude to make us lose our sense of thankfulness. Our attitude can shift based on how our football team played over the weekend, uh, how the deer are biting, how the, uh, how the fish are biting, how the deer are moving, uh, how the temperature is. Um, thankfully, God gave us a great day of, of mild temperatures and a little breeze. Uh, we're not going to have power. God said, okay, I'll handle the air conditioning. You guys handle the rest of it. Uh, but you can even allow your attitude to shift based on how many mosquitoes per square inch you are currently fighting in lower Alabama. But I believe that our passage today is, is a call of God not only to the people of Israel in this time period that we're going to read from in First Chronicles, but also to us here in America today. That David is, is giving us this clear indication, this clear clarion call to be people of thanksgiving. It's also interesting that these three pass or this passage we're going to read today can be found in three of David's psalms. If you look at verses 8 through 22 today, you'll find those in Psalm 105, verses 1 through 15. Verses 23 through 33, you'll find in Psalm 96, verses 1 through 13. And then verses 34 and 36 are found in Psalm 106, verses 1 and 48. So I want you to think about the importance of this passage, if God included it in Chronicles, and he also included it in three of the Psalms. Just so you understand where we are in this passage, uh, right before we get to this point, I'm going to give you just a little, just a couple of things from back further. It says in verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 16, they brought the ark of God and placed it inside the tent they had pitched for it. They offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in God's presence. So here's what's happening. The ark of the covenant has been gone. It's been out of, their, out of their presence. And now they've brought it in. They've returned it to Israel. And the people are celebrating. And so David basically calls for a special church service to celebrate the return of the ark and to call them to remember 
who God is and what this covenant that He has made with Him means. Now for us, we're going to talk just a minute about the Old and the New Covenants, but for, for us, this, the call is not really different. It's the same call, it just manifests itself a little differently because of the Levitical Law and the Mosaic um, Law and the Abrahamic Covenant. We see a difference in mechanism, but not a difference in core. Okay? So here, here's, there's two things that David gives us. He gives us a call to praise, and he gives us a call to ponder. So let me pray for us, and then we're going we're to break down this call to praise, and then we're going to go break down the call to ponder. And I pray that we can get that done in, a, in an efficient amount of time. But I need you to kind of lean in and listen, because I, like I said before, with it being dim in here, if it starts to heat up a little bit, you're going to start doing touch and goes, and you're going to miss something. Okay? So let's... let's Let's charge up here a little bit. We're going to get, get here from the, from the beginning to the end of this passage, and we're going to understand all of it. Let's pray. Father God, we need you as much today as we ever do, but maybe without electricity, we kind of get our minds focused on just how necessary you are in our lives. God, I pray that, that David's words to the children of Israel would resonate within the hearts of your children today in this service or listening online. And I pray that you would speak clearly for our sake, that we can draw closer to you and for your glory that we will be more like your son Jesus in whose name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so the first thing we're going to talk about is the call to praise. We're not going to stand and read the entire passage, but I'm going to give you a lot of snippets, okay? So the first, I'm going to give you several verses here where it's talking about this kind of theme of praise. And then we're going to take a couple of them. We're going to break down three different uh, focuses or reasons that David gives us for praising Yahweh. So verse 9 says, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell about all his wonderful works. That would be good for us to do, right? We can, that's pretty simple. Can anybody just testify here real quick that God has done wonderful things in your life worthy of you singing praises about and telling people about? Verse 25, for the Lord is great and highly praised. He is feared above all gods. Again, can, we, can that resonate with us today, church, that God is still great and highly praised even in 2020? And then verses 28 and 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord, families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And then verses 35 and 36. And say, Save us, God, our salvation. Gather us and rescue us from the nations so that we may give thanks to Your holy name and rejoice in Your praise. May Yahweh, the God of Israel, be praised from everlasting to everlasting. And now, those are, those are just a little snippet of those verses where he's calling us to praise. And now I want to look at the three reasons, or, or three primary areas of focus that David gives us for this reason that we have a call to praise. Number one is salvation. Salvation. Look at verse 23. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. The New King James translates that, Sing the Lord on the earth, proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. The good news. Sound familiar? The good news of His salvation is what He told them to proclaim in First Chronicles. And listen, church, that's what He's commanded us to proclaim today. This, is also, this passage is also found in Psalm 96, verses 1 and 2. And the word salvation here, this is really interesting. The word salvation comes from a Hebrew word, Yeshua. Yeshua. Okay? That means to rescue from distress or danger. Yes, you all. To rescue from distress or danger. The Hebrew root word, and if you want to get your tongue tied, try to say Hebrew 
root word three times really fast. The word Yesha is the root. Everybody with me? Yesha. It's the basis for the name Joshua and Jesus. And it means it signifies freedom from what binds or restricts. So listen to what he's saying. Salvation, Yeshua, comes from Yesha, which is the root of Jesus. Just me? Nobody else impressed by that? That blew me away. So I'm just looking and I'm thinking about this salvation that he's talking about. The children of Israel could have had no idea what real salvation was going to look like. They were thinking of salvation from armies around them, from peoples around them that didn't want them around, wanted to destroy the nation of Israel. They could never have understood that this salvation would be so much deeper and richer than we get to experience today. I would say that the Hebrew children in this chapter of Chronicles, when they first heard this, if they could have known what you and I take for granted, they would have been jealous. They would love to have been able to experience on this side of heaven in their earthly journey the kind of closeness we have with God that they don't really experience because they didn't have the, the, the resurrected Christ and the Holy Spirit. So just think about this. Israel was praising God for saving them from the nations that would destroy them. We praise God for saving us from ourselves and the eternal punishment or destruction that we deserve. How much more should our praise be than theirs if we fully understand our sinfulness, His holiness, and all that He's delivered us or saved us from? They were thankful for Yeshua. We are thankful for Yeshua. The word proclaimed there in the Greek is a word used in the New Testament for preaching the good news. That's why I gave you that New King James translation. We are proclaiming the good news of salvation. We are preaching Good news, gospel. That's what we're preaching to the world. That's what we're teaching to the world in the way that we live our lives, being people of thankfulness. It's also where we get the English word evangelize. Now think about that. We are called to evangelize. We are called to proclaim the good news, to preach the gospel. All of those are the same command that we have. This is puzzling to me. There, there is a group of people in America that they talk about as if it's separate from the rest of people who are in the church. It, we're, you hear this word used a lot on the news and things where they talk about evangelicals. Well, you know, he needs the evangelical vote. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to, to turn his back on the evangelical vote. Can I just say it's confusing to me why we need that term? Church, if we're doing what God has called us to do, the term Christian should cover evangelicals. You cannot be, I'm convinced of this, to the core of my being, you cannot be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and not be evangelical. You must be evangelical to obey Jesus because he gave us the great commission. Look, he didn't, he didn't hide it in a byline. He didn't put it back in the classified ads on page 15B where you had to search to find it. He put it in bold print before he left this earth, he looked to his disciples and he would look to us today and say, Go ye therefore. All authority has been given to me under heaven, Matthew 28, 18. Therefore, go make disciples. Go evangelize. Why are we having to have a separate word for that? Look at me. Because the church isn't being the church. If the church was being the church, evangelical would be understood. So the first thing we have to thank Him for in this call to praise is salvation. 
Can somebody just say I'm thankful for salvation this morning? Can somebody just say thank God He gave me my salvation? Can I just say if He never does anything else for you, He's done more than you could ever deserve. The second thing David points our attention to after salvation is creation. Look at verse 26. 1 Chronicles 16. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Woo! That ought to make you want to shout. All the gods of the peoples are idols. Look at me. All in Hebrew means the same thing that all means in Greek, which is all. All the gods are idols except the Lord God. This verse is also found in Psalm 96.5. And the word idols there is a Hebrew word, el-il. El-il. It's a masculine noun meaning worthlessness. It's frequently used to describe false gods and idols. Now, think about that concept. Remember, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you Jesus in the Old Testament and then show you the stream that ties to Jesus in the New Testament. Okay? So look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 8, 4. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. There's a lot of really weird stuff going on, a lot of secular stuff going on. He's, trying, he's got these Hebrew or these, these Jewish believers and he's got these Gentile believers and he's trying to get them to get all their ducks in a row. And so he says this and, and talking about eating food offered to idols. He's trying to, to kind of put down a squabble in the church. He says about eating food offered to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. Now, why did Paul have to tell the first Corinthian church, the Corinthian church that in first Corinthians? Hey, but if I look at me, the same reason you and I need to hear it today. Here's the reason. We were made to worship. It's in our DNA, people. It's what we were made to do. So if we're not worshiping rightly by worshiping God, then we'll be worshiping wrongly by worshiping something else. Here's the something else. That's it. You say, well, Brother Kevin, people don't only worship themselves. Some people worship alcohol. Hey, look at me. <laughs> Why do you think they worship alcohol? Do they worship it by putting it in a bottle and bowing to it? Do they worship it by, by burning incense for it and putting little decorations on the bottle? No. They drink it. So what are they worshiping? They're worshiping that feeling that they get from alcohol or from drugs or from sex or from whatever pornography. Every single, this is what I tell our college group all the time. If you climb to the top of any idol that anybody has constructed, you are going to find a mirror. Because every idol is an idol to this. It's an idol to flesh. It's an idol to self. Because we don't want to worship God. We want to worship us. It's the same reason we tell God he needs to get with our program when things aren't working according to our calendar. Hey God, I've been asking you for this and you ain't doing it yet. You need to tighten up. God help us when we have that kind of attitude because we are idolaters using God as a servant. We're actually worshiping ourselves. We're just doing it using His name. The Creator deserves worship from His creation, and that is the entire universe, including every single human being. According to Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, one day, all, that's that word again, all will worship. It says, in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Salvation 
should point our worship to Him. We should have a call to praise when we think about our salvation. And then when we think about creation, we should have a call to praise and thank God that He made us and everything around us. The third thing that David talks about here that we need to focus on for our call to praise is domination. Listen to verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord, families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The word ascribe there, watch this, means regard a quality as belonging to. Ascribe means to uh, regard a quality as belonging to. That's, that's important. This is a call for every single human being to acknowledge that God already has, past tense, already has all the glory and the strength. Not to give him something that he doesn't already have or something that he needs from us. God is not sitting in heaven on his throne worrying about whether or not we think he's good enough. Does anybody ever remember uh, the Saturday Night Live skit with the guy who would look in the mirror and tell himself he was, you're good enough and you're strong enough and doggone it, people like you. God's not doing that. God's, God doesn't have an inferiority complex. Let me go one step further. Hey, God don't have a complex. He's not sitting in heaven going, man, I sure hope I get my hair done right today. I hope this shirt looks good on me. He's looking in the mirror and he's trying to suck it in and trying to look all that. He's not doing that. He's not worried about his social media profile. He's not worried about offending you or offending you or offending me. He's God. We won't give him glory that he doesn't already have. But God, we ascribe to him glory. In other words, we acknowledge that he deserves and owes all the glory and all the power and all the mind and majesty and strength. We are simply acknowledging his greatness. We are not giving him greatness. There's an old hymn, and just parenthetically, people say, uh, I've heard people say before, I like this new music, it's too repetitive. They never sang this chorus. If they, they think that. There's an old hymn, it's an old chorus, titled No Other Name. Am I familiar? No other name but the name of Jesus. No other name but the name of the Lord. No other name but the name of Jesus is worthy of glory and worthy of honor and worthy of power and of praise. Amen. Ever heard it? Amen. You know there's a reason the guy wrote it? Because it's true. They wouldn't put it in the hymnal if it wasn't true. We wouldn't sing it in churches all over this country if it weren't true. He is the one. No other name. Acts 4.12 says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Romans 1.20. We're going to talk about the next verse in just a few minutes. But I want you to think about Romans 1.20. It says for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, watch, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Before I read the last part of that verse, I want to make sure we're clear, okay? His eternal power, his divine nature, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Well, wait a minute. So, so when, did, when did the gospel first start being preached? Uh, Genesis 3.15. Look it up. So wait a minute, you're telling me that, 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 wait a minute now, I thought Jesus just showed up in, in Matthew. No, 
Jesus has been here from the get-go. He was with God. He was God. And all the things were created were created through Him. And not one thing created was created outside of Him. He is the mechanism and author of creation. He was there in the beginning. He was God before He was man. So when we read the Old Testament, we're reading the story of Jesus. When we see creation, it is, it's got Jesus' fingerprints all over it. So then he says this in the last part of that verse. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, he says, as a result, people are without excuse. People don't have an excuse because they've already seen God through what God created. You can't look at the sunrise and think, yeah, that just probably happened. You know, random. Things spun around and blew up, and then this is what we get. It's really, it's really coincidental. It's really like, I mean, it's really kind of a, a cool thing that we just showed up on this planet that has the perfect amount of oxygen and carbon dioxide, and, and plants give off oxygen, and we give off carbon dioxide, so all of us can breathe. That's that's just, I mean, what are the odds? I tell you what the odds are. And what happened? So cool that we just happened to end up the right amount of distance from the sun so we don't freeze like, like popsicles or burn up like matches. So just happenstance. Nobody would believe that if you tried to write a book about it. So this is our call to praise. Our salvation for creation and for God's domination. And the second thing he points us to is a call to ponder. So when we, when we, when we look at the Bible, there's so many verses, and especially this passage, that call us to praise God. But we're also called to remember or to ponder some things. Here's, this, is my, this is the closest I'm going to get to Dr. Seuss. Y'all ready? Pausing to ponder is a prelude to praise, and praising should prompt us to ponder. I'm going to say that again. I'm trying not to spit all over my iPad up here. Pausing to ponder is a prelude to praise, and praising should prompt us to ponder. Here's what I'm saying. When we sing these songs in here about God to God, that should put us back towards Scripture. That should drive us to the Scriptures so we can get more of it. God, I sang this song about you this morning. It fired me up so much. I want to know you better. Somebody get in your word about it. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say it often. If your Bible study is not difficult, look at me. It ain't Bible study. Stop reading a verse of the day. Stop reading some little simple thing. Get in the Scripture and mind for it. When you worship Him, you should want to know more about Him. Watch me. And when you know more about Him, you've got to worship Him. You can't know more about Him and not worship Him. That's why I know people have a false salvation. Say, yeah, I'm not taking to Jesus. I was baptized and saved. I'm not going to hell. But I don't go to church and I don't put up with all that religious stuff. I just think being God are good. We work our own thing out. You don't work your own thing out with a holy God. You get yourself in line with what He's told you to do and you obey Him fully or you are outside of His family. There are two key areas that David focuses our thoughts here. Number one is God's works. And number two, we're going to talk about in just a minute, is our worship. God's works. There's two verses I'm going to talk about. I'm going to split them up. We're going to talk about verse 12. And then in just a second, we're going to talk about verse 15. In verse 12, it says, Remember the wonderful works He has done, His wonders, and the judgments He has pronounced. You see, when we think about all that God has done, and all that He will do, and all of His righteous judgments, we should automatically like, just click over to being a thankful person. When we ponder all that God has done, ponder all that God has decided, ponder all that God has given us, we should just automatically go, God, thank you. Can I just say thank you, God, that the power's not on this morning? Thank you, God, that we don't have air conditioner blowing in here this morning. 
Thank you, God, that we were able to have a building to get in. It wasn't flattened by the storm. Thank you, God, that we get to gather with the people of God and encourage one another in these crazy days we live in. Your attitude has got to shift to be thankful when you think about all that God has done and all that God is. When Paul wrote Ephesians 5 from a prison cell in Rome, he wrote these words in verses 19 and 20. He says we're supposed to be speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Watch this. Giving thanks always for everything. Always for everything. Those are words of totalitarianism. Those are not words of you pick what you want to be thankful for, and you be thankful for it. And if you don't want to be thankful, you don't have to. That's not what that says. Always giving thanks, always for everything. To the God, uh, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we look at Romans 1.20, look at Romans 1.21. So the last thing he said was, that's why they're without excuse. People are without excuse. Well, I didn't know. Well, you, you didn't open your eyes then. You didn't see all that God had made. You didn't see a little newborn baby, you, which I'm probably keeping Kate away. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Speaking of newborn babies, um, you didn't see a sunrise. You didn't see a newborn baby. You didn't, you didn't take in all this stuff and realize it had to come from somewhere. Maybe you should look into it. So here's what he says in verse 21. He says, for though they knew God... They did not glorify him as God or show, watch, gratitude. They didn't show gratitude. In other words, they weren't thankful. They didn't glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. You know why their senseless minds were darkened? The same reason this building is darkened. Because they were cut off from the power supply. Listen to me, church. When you stop going to church, when you stop reading His Word, when you stop going to the Lord in prayer, and then your life dries up and you're going, I don't know where God went. Let me tell you something. If you feel distant from God, guess who moved? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is sitting on His throne. He's not wandering around the universe. He is God. If you feel distant from Him, check your life. Get back in line with His Scriptures. Get on your knees before a holy God and beg Him to bring you back to where you need to be. And when you do that, you will become a person who is thankful. If we ponder what Christ has done and that God gave Him for us, it should make us thankful above anything else. And Colossians 3, Paul again writes to this other church and he tells them to put on love, the perfect bond of unity, let the peace of the Messiah to which you are also called in one body control your hearts. And then at the end of verse 15, he says this, be thankful. All right, church, why is he writing all these letters to all these churches and he keeps coming back to this one thing, being thankful? Why do you think that is? Why would he keep writing this phrase over and over and over again to all these different churches? Look at me, because he knows us. Paul knows us and he knows we're going to be forgetful. So he's writing this letter and he's telling all this stuff that he to do and he goes, and be thankful. Because he knows we need to hear it. Now let's look at verse 15 in 1 Chronicles 16. He says, remember his covenant forever. The promise he ordained for a thousand generations. When we ponder God's promises, we can find peace even when our circumstances aren't ideal. In Philippians 4.12, Paul says, I figured out how to survive in any circumstance I'm in, no matter what it is. And then in verse 13, he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I've, I've figured it out. Paul says, I've figured out how to be content. And I've figured out, that, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I've figured out how to live a thankful life to stay in Christ. 
I don't have to be in good situations. I don't have to be in good circumstances if I remain in Christ. Why? Because I can put up with anything through Christ who strengthens me. I can have little. I can have much. I can be in an outhouse or the penthouse. I can be in the big house. But I can be thankful if I'm in Christ, I can survive it all. James says kind of a similar thing when he says in verses 2 and 3 of James 1, he says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Two things here. When I was a little kid, the, the King James says, Account all joy, my brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations. I was always trying to figure out who was the diver and what was he tempted by that I needed to fall into. Nobody got that. All right. Scratch that one on the podcast, Grace. Let me give that one out. Diverse temptation. Diverse. All right. (laughs) Second thing about this. Our trials produce endurance. All right. Everybody look at me. I know it's painful. I don't like to run. Y'all can tell that by looking at it, right? I always tell people, if you see me running, you either better hunger down and get ready to fight something nasty, or you better get in there and run with me. But my wife is a runner. So when we were dating, she'd say, hey, you want to go running with me? Yeah, absolutely. And we'd go to Lake Jackson and run around the lake, and this is what our running looked like. Her, about 20 feet ahead of me, and me back there just sucking wind, trying not to die. <laughs> and she's up there just getting, and I'm back there going forward, have mercy, I'm going to die, I'm never going to make it. But the more we ran, the more I could keep up with her. And she's much still a much better runner than me. When we used to run in her husband at the little town park over there, she would lap me. That's a revolting thing to be lapped by your wife. I'm just telling you. Pride out the window. Here's the thing. I had to keep running if I wanted to try to keep up with her. Why? Because endurance is not built by watching Flintstones and eating Cheetos. Endurance is built going through trials. Endurance is built running your race. If I never ran, I would never get better at running. You see the point? If you never go through any trials, you're never going to develop endurance, and then the first trial you hit, boom, you're gone. It'll wipe you out. We need to thank God for the trials because that is building something in us that could not be built otherwise. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, here we go again, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So that's, that's God's works. He's drawing us and pointing us to be thankful and understand what he's done and to give him the glory for it because the second thing is he focuses on our worship. Look at verse 8 and 34. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to split them up. Verse 8, give thanks to Yahweh, call on his name, proclaim his deeds among the peoples. Now the word proclaim here is translated make known and the Hebrew word for known is yodah. Yodah. Now, here's what's interesting. That word yodah is actually to know relationally and experientially. It's not just to know, but it's to know relationally. Like I know my kids, I know my wife, I know Grayson, I know my mom, I know John and Donna. I know people because I have a relationship with them. But watch, it's also to know experientially. So it's not to know as in, I know this person is related to me, but I've never met them. It's to experience it. To be around them, to know what they like, what they don't like, how they sound, what makes them laugh, what makes them cry. That's what we're talking about here is to know them both relationally and experientially. See, when we proclaim his deeds among the peoples, we are working to help people know him both relationally and experientially. 
By telling them all that God has done and showing them how God has done it in their lives. Part of the way we do that is by publicly worshiping Him. And I know before I say it, before I even finish that, some of y'all thought, well, I'm not a good singer. I can't sing publicly. People would run away. We talked about Austin filling in for Grayson one day, and that would be the last worship service we ever had. Because that's not his gift. But he is a worshiper. Watch what I'm telling you. So the dictionary definition for worship is an act of religious devotion, usually directed toward a deity. I'm confused here when I read this, and then I understand that the, the writer of this definition knows people. Why, why would it say usually? Because that's us. An act of religious devotion usually towards directed towards a deity. If Christians lived out what we're supposed to live out all the time, if everybody who claimed Christ really lived for Christ, then you wouldn't need to usually. His worship is always directed towards a deity, Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus. But sadly, we have a tendency to make things deities that are not worthy because we worship the wrong things. Listen, can I just tell you something? If you're waiting to find out what celebrity or actor or musician or whatever, how they think about something so you can figure out how to think about it, you need to check yourself. You need to figure out your, your life is not heading down a good path. If I'm waiting to find out what fill in the blank famous person thinks about it so I can think like that, you're, you're messing up. That's what's called out, outsourcing the deity. <laughs> you're ascribing to them something that they don't deserve that they can't live up to. Just because you can pretend to be somebody you're not or sing a song half naked most of the time and sing like that, that's the, that's the kind of the thing. If you can sing halfway decent, we can fix it in the studio, but you, you, look, you don't mind wearing very little clothing on stage, we make you famous. That's not a reason to listen to that person's advice. That's not a reason to follow that person's pattern of life. For us, worship has got to be what we do to Christ. We ascribe all of this stuff to Him. Jimmy Needham wrote a song a few years ago called Clear the Stage. Anybody familiar with it? Really powerful song. And here's the chorus. He says, you can sing all you want to. Yes, you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to. Watch. And still get it wrong. Because worship is more than a song. See, when we, when we sing, we worship. When we come to church, we worship. When we preach, we worship. When we teach, we worship. When we study the Bible, we worship. When we give, we worship. When we come up here and work and serve, we worship. Everything that you do is an act of worship if you're a follower of Christ, including making disciples. So our worship is everything that we do. Worship isn't what we do as followers of Christ. It's who we are. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore, through Him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips that confess His name. Then Romans 10, 9 and 10, uh, I memorized it in the King James. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 10 says, For you, with, with the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. Colossians 1 even says this, We proclaim Him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone that you're in Christ. I labor for this, striving with the strength that works powerfully in me. That's what worship is. It's all of our lives given for all that He has for us. Everything. Then look at verse 34. He says, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord because things are good. Wait a minute. Is that what it said? Help me. Somebody help me. Is that what it said? Give thanks to the Lord when things are going good. Give thanks to the Lord when you feel like it. No! Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For He is good. His faithful love endures forever. In other words, we can echo what Job said in Job 13, 15. Even if he kills me, 
I will hope in him. The King James, King James says, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Never lose sight of the fact that God is good even when our circumstances are not. So it's our worship. It's not what we do. It's who we are. Let me give you an example. We'll close with this. Has anybody ever heard of Polycarp? If you haven't heard of Polycarp, do some research. Phenomenal guy. Polycarp of Smyrna. He's in Fox's book of martyrs. And here's the story of it. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. He was an early church leader. And he was about to be burned at the stake because he was a Christian in Rome around 155 A.D. So the proconsul, when he brought, they brought him before the proconsul of Rome, and here's what the proconsul told him. He gave him pity. He said, swear, and I will release thee. Reproach Christ. If I listen to you, put yourself in this position. He is brought out of his home. He's taken down to the town square, if you want to think about it that way. He is tied to a stake, and they're about to set the wood around him on fire and burn him to death. And the pro-council, the governor, the president, the dictator, whatever, fill in the blank. The guy in charge of the proceedings says, hey man, all you have to do for us to untie you and let you go is to recant on your profession of faith in Christ. That's all you got to do. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to cut off an arm. You don't have to do it. We're not going to hurt your family. All you have to do is say, you know what? I reject Christ and I'm going I'm to do whatever Rome tells me to do, whatever the government tells me to do. The old man's answer has gone down in history among the most famous last words of a dying martyr. The crowd that gathered around grew very quiet as they waited for his reply. And it's recorded that Polycarp looked right at the Roman proconsul and said this. Eighty-six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king? Who is safe? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. The report of this event goes on to say that at this the proconsul was angered and so he commanded them to light the flames and so they lit everything on fire and it starts burning and his body wouldn't burn. So growing more upset that he's trying to kill this guy and he won't die, he commands one of the soldiers to go and run him through with a sword. So he runs him through, and they said that when his blood came out, it extinguished the fire that they were trying to burn him to death with. And after he was dead, they took his body down and they burned it to, to ashes. Can I just tell you this? That's worship. That's being thankful. And understanding that we have so much to be thankful for. Tied to a stake and lit on fire, God still deserves my glory, my honor, my worship, my praise, my allegiance. Why? Because He is good. Amen. Amen. Every Christian is not called to be a martyr, but every Christian should be prepared to be a martyr. So here's what we've talked about today. We've seen a call to praise and a call to ponder. When we look at the call of God on our lives to praise and to ponder, it should have a huge impact on how we approach prosperity and adversity. If we stay connected to the Father, we will always be mindful of His promises and thankful for His providence. My prayer today is that as we enter this Thanksgiving season, 
that we use this as an opportunity to recalibrate our lives to make us people of thanksgiving. Not a season, not for a month, not for a week, not for a day, but that we become people who are identified and marked by the fact that we are thankful no matter what happens. Would you stand? If you would do me just the, the, the favor of standing and bowing your head and closing your eyes for just a minute. We're not going to linger long, but I want to give everybody an opportunity to respond. If, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never committed your life to Him, repented of your sins, and turned to Him as Lord and Savior, you can do that today. Because I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to face trials and you're not going to be able to be thankful if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, which is what happens when you come to Christ. So if you don't know Jesus, come now. We would love to talk to you more about that. Guide you on how to, how to confess your sins to Him and become a follower of Christ. If you're here today and you've done that, you've confessed your sins, you've professed Jesus as Lord, but you've slipped away, you've backslidden, you're not living for Him like you should, you can come today and make a declaration that you're rededicating your life to Christ. If you're here today and you know Jesus, you're following closely, but you just don't have a church family where you can connect and plug in and serve, you can come today and we can talk about moving your letter, moving your membership to Westville Baptist Church. If you've got all that stuff straight, I would just challenge you to really do some personal inventory this morning. Make sure that your life reflects that you are so thankful for all that God has given you. Even if things aren't good, our God still is. So use this time. We're just going to wait just a moment. If you need somebody to pray with you, you come now. But use this time just to think about all that God has done for you.